Welcome to BuildCast, where we delve into the backstories of experts and other players in the built environment to reveal their journey and how they got built. Join us in our conversation to learn from their life experiences, to be the catalyst for innovation, and to make sustainable building mainstream building. Now here is your host and the principal thinker at Build Tank Inc., Robbie Schwartz. Hello and welcome to BuildCast. Today I have the great pleasure of having Eric Holt, who is the assistant professor at the University of Denver Burns School of Real Estate and Construction Management. He teaches construction building systems, architectural design management and planning, construction project management, and residential development. Welcome, Eric. How are you today? I'm well, Robbie. It's good to good to see you and good to be out of the basement and online with you. So yeah. So uh, as I uh, we just mentioned, I noticed you're in your office. So uh, COVID quarantine is is over at the school in general, or uh, we're, we're relaxing a little bit. We're, we're getting back into having face-to-face classes. Uh, we're still having to social distance and wear masks when you're not outside your your office space. And and testing now uh, for students is once a week. Faculty is three every three weeks, but. We're starting to have a little bit of more face-to-face contact, which everybody is really missing. But we won't get away from having what they call high flex now. Every class that I that I teach that I'm going to be teaching, even though we may be back in the classroom again, less occurring from behind a mask, I'm still going to be online via Zoom for those that either can't or not comfortable coming to class or because we have a, an executive master's program now, Every class fits into that because we'll be teaching it online the same time that we'll be teaching face-to-face. So it's the the new normal. Uh, the technology keeps up with it pretty well, actually. And so we get some good live streaming and some interaction between the students on campus and the students, you know, sitting in their basement. So yeah. just to yeah. give uh, people some context, this is, we're talking about the second week in February 2021. Uh, this won't air for a little while, so uh, uh, welcome back to to school. There has has your um, style of teaching had to change uh, a lot. It, had you had much uh, ability to uh, play with online learning before this? So the answer the first part, yes. Uh, our style of teaching has changed greatly with the COVID. Our program has had an online component. I've taught in the online executive masters now for four or five years. And so it was easy for us to go to 100% online. Um, the challenge were courses that had a face-to-face, hands-on components. Uh, my building systems class has, a, we go field trips on the job sites every week to, to see what we're talking about and experience the real world. Well, that had to go to YouTube videos and, and uh, um that's no fun. Students are tired of watching YouTube videos. So, so the technology that we're implying for that now, uh, come this spring, we're actually going to live stream our field trips. So I'll still hopefully be out on the job site with a small group of students. Industry is ready to, for us to come back out on there, but we've got a, a portable backpack rig with a battery and a camera and a, a bandwidth mobile router to have an actual face-to-face conversation 
with industry on a job site while students are watching in the camera and can ask questions back and forth. So it's, it's forcing us to utilize technology in ways we've never done before. Um, even little things like we can no longer pass out paper assignments in class. So uh, we've got to make everything electronic. Well, you know, no longer can you sit and do estimating problems by hand on paper. We've got to come up with a way for them to do it electronically, even though we're in the classroom together. Little things like that that are more of a big pain in the butt than anything else. But we're utilizing technology more. We're utilizing Zoom. Uh, a lot of microphones and cameras in the classroom so that we can get an interaction back and forth. Um, you have to enunciate better behind a mask so that yeah. people can, you know, hear or understand what you're saying. So things like that. Students, it's hard. You can't, like a lot of projects in construction, you know, students learn really well by doing group work together. Well, now you've got to, group work's got to be six feet apart, socially distanced. So it's some ways we're ready for it. And a lot of ways it's really, really radically changed. Um, the, the traditional lecture, just my talking head verbally throwing up on you is not working anymore. So now we make students watch recorded videos of the lecture topic ahead of time. And then we have a discussion in the classroom when they get there. And if you're not prepared, it's not good enough just to show up. Now you have to show up with a question and bring something to the discussion to get attendance points. So whether that's show up face to face or show up online, either way, I got to make sure you're interacting to the classroom because I literally have had students log in, forget their cameras on, walk away. Uh, one guy was working out, pumping iron during class. Another was riding a horse. I'm like, pissing me off. I couldn't count anymore. So, you know, but I understand too, they're Students are fed up of being online. All our student competitions this year were a challenge because they're all virtual. It's hard to get students motivated. You know, there's no really cool trip to go somewhere at the end of it. So why would they want to take on a another Zoom meeting? So, so well, it's it's changed. Yeah, that's really really interesting how that's changed. Um, before we go too far, we should probably. Uh, describe a little bit more about the Burns School of Real Estate and Construction Management. Uh, sure. It's not an architectural program, so uh, explain a little bit about the school and, and what you guys uh, teach there. Okay. We're, we're in the School of Business first off, so that makes us really, really unique compared to other construction management programs. Uh, secondly, then, it's also a real estate uh, program along with construction management. And, and I'm not talking about you know, selling homes, real estate. It's about real estate development, real estate finance, uh, land development, uh, a lot of appraisal, real estate tax law we get into in our real estate program. And then the construction side is the project delivery. It's, uh, you know, traditional construction management, building systems, architectural design, uh, planning, and uh, working with architects, project management, uh, uh, construction legal classes, um, we have a residential development class that teaches students all the process that you go through from land acquisition to market analysis to financial analysis for land development, real estate development. So we're one of the few programs in the nation, if the only program in the nation that has both real estate and construction management all under the same hood. And then the fact we're in the College of Business just because Real estate and construction management is just a specialized business degree. So yeah. it's an extremely unique program. Uh, 
Um, I've been here six years now. I taught at Purdue University and the University of Nebraska before, and this is by far my favorite program because we, we cover the full built life cycle of the built environment from the real estate development side to the project delivery construction management. And then we have facility and asset management uh, courses and minor. So you can pick and choose where do you want to land in the full built environment life cycle. Um, and we're in the realm of residential and commercial uh, real estate or just one or the other? Uh, the real estate's more on the commercial side. The Construction management, because my background, which we'll get into, is residential construction and residential industry. So I'm the residential champion. Um, I push a lot of home builders, and, and a lot of students don't know they have a great career in home building. And so, um, and then the classes I teach, we cover both commercial and residential construction. But I, I'm I do residential competitions with the students. Uh, we do residential uh, building projects. I got a couple other faculty that I, I share the CM load with, and they're more based in the commercial development and the commercial world. And so we, we have a good, well-rounded program here. That's great. So that was a great segue to uh, kind of your, your background. Uh, did Were you interested in construction from early early on as a child? or how did, No, how did it's you kind of funny. I, you know, you sent me to kind of prepare for this and thinking about how I got into construction. My, my dad was a Purdue professor from early, early on, first grade. We moved to, to the Midwest, Lafayette, Indiana. Dad's specialty is uh, forestry and natural resources. So my growing up, you know, the only construction in my background is my grandpa that we'd visit during the summers. Grandpa was always, you know, flipping, tearing down, remodeling a project. Um, and I guess dad had worked with him in his youth and hated it uh, because the grandpa had kind of a sick sense of humor. Dad would be down in a crawl space working on some wiring and grandpa would go test the breakers really quick. And so dad had wanted nothing to do with construction. Uh, his uh, his form of fixing stuff in the house was duct tape. And that was as far as his construction skills went. But he was a great academic, uh, did a lot of great research in the field of uh, forestry and natural resources at Purdue. And so Summers for me were growing up around his research, traveling all over the United States. One of my claims to fame is I've been to almost every state in the union. I have Hawaii and New Mexico, and that's because we went with dad's research all over the nation growing up. So, but I got, I went to Purdue University. Uh, that's where dad worked, and, and he told me I could go anywhere I wanted, uh, but he was only paying for Purdue. I'm like, all right, let's go. And I started out in humanities and was flunking Spanish, irrecoverable. It was just a train wreck. And I was whining about it one day, and my roommate was like, well, I'm in the CM program in technology, and I don't think we need Spanish. And so I was over there that immediately that day. Turns out the F in my Spanish was going to get redlined. It would show up in my transcript but not be part of my GPA. I signed up that day. All right. And so that's how I got into construction management, got a CM degree at Purdue, which is really ironic because I can't speak Spanish. And that's a huge asset in our industry right now. Mm -hmm. So but that's how I got into it. And I had a very eclectic career after graduation at Purdue. I was working for Wix Lumber, started out during uh, as an intern or, or just a part time job while I was in school, just stocking the shelves. And then they offered me a, a inside sales position. 
And so I, I learned the, the building supply side of our business and the billion dollar industry that's there. Uh, how material gets delivered to a job site, how it comes into a supply house, uh, how it's purchased, how it's uh, uh, estimated, because that's one thing I did at Wix Lumber was constantly doing quantity takeoff to sell the materials for sheds, pole barns, decks, whole house packages, even some commercial projects. So great education. When students come to me and go, ah, I could get a job at Home Depot at Lowe's, I'm like, don't poo-poo that. You're going to learn a ton of great things about the material supply of our world. Yeah. And then, then I got a job working for the, the local jurisdiction as a building inspector and plan reviewer. And so if you wanted a permit for a deck, shed, new home, or the brand new Walmart, you had to come across my desk. Uh, I was a 23-year-old kid that could hand out red tags and uh, didn't really understand the economic impact on a job site when I did that at the time, but uh, learned the, so the, the uh, inspection and the building code and the referee side of our business. Um, was trained in, in the building codes, how to enforce it, how to interpret it, how to read it. And then, because I was the plan reviewer, uh, you know, I would re review the plans for uh, local building code, state building code, national building code. And then if you if you didn't meet all of our checklists and our requirements for permit, then because this was early 90s, I faxed you or mailed you a letter. Um, but it was a great learning experience. Met a ton of builders in that job. So um, these were the model model codes? They weren't uh, uh, the IRC yet, right? No, no. This was before that. They were just starting to talk about them. So that was the thing, too, is you, <laughs> you had all these different code books. They weren't the IRC codes yet, so depending on where the plans were drawn, could be really confusing about which code it was developed under. And um, I got to meet some of the, like Brent Snyder, some of the the fathers of the IRC and, and the International Codes Council at that time. So it was starting to get into the transition to the model codes, the model energy code, one of the first energy uh, analysis software and enforcement started in the time that I was uh, as a plan reviewer then. And it was somewhat chaotic and, and it always is with building codes, but again, a great, great place to really learn and dig into that. So did that for three years. And then one of the builders that I would review their plans and they would pull permit pretty regularly, Gunster Builders, uh, they were in my office one day talking about they needed a, a project superintendent, job site babysitter. Yeah. And the city job was great great benefits, great holidays, but, you know, low pay. And Gunster came back with an offer that my family and I couldn't refuse. And so I left and went into industry. On, as an inspector, I'd been on the job site, you know, seven to 12 times. I thought I knew a lot. As a superintendent, I was on the job every day, and I learned really quickly I didn't know Jack. Yeah. And I was in charge of from permit to three months past closing when it turned over to warranty of everything materials, scheduling, homeowner walkthroughs, uh, subcontract. I mean, the whole project. Uh, at Gunster Builders, we did entry-level $100,000 homes uh, up to million-dollar mansions and multifamily. And so a really eclectic mix of product. We, would, we were what I would call a cell phone builder. We didn't have any self-performing. I had a punch-out guy and a trash guy. Everything else was 100% subbed out. Okay. Um, from a building science perspective, we had to meet 
minimum prescriptive uh, R19 walls was like the big deal. And so Gunster went to this two by four with insulation and foam. And so we, we barely made R19, but there was no, there were no blower door tests. There were no true enforcement. And we joked that you could break into a Gunster Builder house with a exacto knife because you literally could just cut your way in. There was just no meat to the building. They had, so they used a two by four wall with exterior foam sheathing? Yep. Lead in bracing, uh, no shear wall considerations. This is Midwest Indiana, so there's no seismic zone or anything like that. But definitely what we built back then compared to what we build now from a building science and a structural, very, very different. Uh, yeah, but, but it's interesting, though, we're trying to get folks to put that continuous insulation on the exterior and, and nobody's willing to, to go back to it. Yeah. You know, you're, from where you are anyway. Yep, yep. It, it, it's hard to meet some shear wall requirements and things like that. So, so, but it was a great, learned a ton building and, you know, a very typical day would put a hundred miles on my truck and a humongous cell phone bill, not in today's terms, but back then it was, had a pager on my belt too, that, that would go off and people would scream a message at you. So if you're in a quiet meeting and someone yelled out something obscene, everybody heard it. I mean, just different technology. I would update, I did have a, a laptop with some scheduling software, so I would update my construction schedules, but then I had to fax updates to my trades every day or every week. So yeah. interesting times. We didn't use email, we didn't use the internet for anything. Um, we used showrooms and uh, supply houses and a lot of paper. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting uh, way that you really saw how our building industry has changed. I often say that, you know, in the early days of building, it was a small company that literally took it from foundation through finished carpentry, the same few, few people. You entered the industry and it already had become so fragmented and specialized where you've got these individual specialists that are coming out and doing just their part. How did you feel about um, being able to manage these and understand the actual, not only sequencing of the process, but what, what your trade partners were actually doing? You learned along the way pretty quickly. Um, this was also a time, um, mid 90s to early 2000s, and the labor market was such that there were plenty of trades to go around. Um, I literally could make a phone call that day to multiple trade carpenters or trim carpenters, say a job's ready, and have a fist fight on the driveway to see who's good and a bidding war to see who's going to do the work. So very, very different than nowadays. Um, so you, you learned who was good. That was one of the things that I really picked up on the job site, you know, which crews you really liked, which crews you knew you were going to have a problem with. Uh, even which trades. I literally came on a job site one day and my plumber and my electrician were having fisticuffs because I had scheduled them both ready or someone had shown up early. But anyway, they could not work in the same house at the same time. So you learn really quickly because I hated putting out fires. So frustrated with all the the time I spent just literally putting out fires in the job site. And it's like, there's got to be a better way. And so I was constantly looking at either through better trades, better scheduling. One of the best days of 
in that job time period. So the other superintendents I was always competing with for for trade contractors at the time. I was the young pup. The the senior guy, his last name was Gunstra. He was the boss's brother. Mark literally would call up and pull trades off my house projects to his, and he could do that because his name was Gunstra. So, but I remember the day I'd been getting to this habit of faxing, communicating to these subcontractors when jobs would be ready. And I had the electrician scheduled, and we had developed this relationship. He knew that if I told him a job was ready, and it, even if it was a couple weeks out or a, day, a week out, he could count on showing up and he'd have the place. And it was swept out, clean, and, and it could go super efficient for him. So I remember the day that Mark called Craig Wagner Electric, and Craig told Mark no because he knew my job was ready. He had already committed to me, and he was pretty sure Mark's was not ready. And and I just Mark just screaming in the other office over there, cussing Craig out, and then cussing me out. And I'm like, you know, it was a good day. I remember that very distinctly. So, so taking that to what you're teaching, you're teaching um, how to manage a construction site. Yeah. So is that, uh, are you teaching software management skills or what, what does that mean, I guess, from an academic perspective to manage a construction site? We do teach a lot of the actual tools of the trade, uh, software, um, process, uh, but we're also teaching a lot of the soft skills, people skills, communication, leadership. Um, those soft skills and those people skills are so important. Relationships, integrity, ethics, because a lot of construction firms build differently. And the industry is telling us as academics, you know, they're they're more interested in the people skills and the ability to communicate than knowing how to build because they can teach them their method. Whether it's Lennar, KB Homes, or whatever, they've got a specific way. The actual construction stuff is almost easier to teach than the people skills. And so we're trying to, as we teach the foundation of you know construction management and the software tools software changes technology changes the relationships the people skills the communication uh the ethics of it all those don't change and sometimes really harder to teach harder for a student to pick up um i see a lot of home builders now going outside the construction management education world for hiring they're picking up accountants and marketers and people that have different skills and don't think like a true CM because they have better skills in the relationship and the communication and they understand uh, the process better. So we've seen that trend in educational hiring for home builders and builders. Interesting. Two, two kind of questions come up for me on that. The first one, going back to your, your uh, trouble learning Spanish, which I, I share with you. Um, is Spanish or any language a requirement now in your program? Most high schools it is now, and um, but in your your not not specifically no. I do know a lot of <clears throat> programs do incorporate some uh, Spanish. You know, I know Purdue it's still required, but a lot of students high schools have really taken care of that. And when I went through high school in the eighties. It was uh, taking a foreign language was just it was an elective. Yeah. Well, now all my kids 
as part of their core curriculum have had to pick up uh, a foreign language and Spanish is usually the easiest and most prevalent. So, so most of they're seeing out on, when you go out on site, they're seeing the, the necessity or need uh, for it yeah. out in the field. Being bilingual, especially in the construction industry, is an asset. And there's some good programs out there. Uh, Red Angle has a, a whole Spanish to construction training program. And so a lot of companies and a lot of uh, programs use his information uh, to, and, and it goes both ways. It's training, you know, non-Spanish speakers how to communicate with the Spanish crews in basic construction terms and training the, the Spanish crews how to communicate in English terms to, to to increase the communication and, and the, the workforce uh, relationship between Spanish speakers and non-Spanish speakers. But the, the, the trades, there's a ton of trades out there where you see a lot of um, uh, Latino and, and Spanish speakers and do phenomenal work. And, and uh, so, yes, being able to communicate with your, your industry professionals and the, those that have the skills to get the job done is very, very important. So, interesting. interesting. And then the, the other question that came up or observation was, you know, I've, I've seen things kind of from the other side, the inspection side, the consulting side uh, with builders. So I'm working with, in essence, your students after they've graduated and are managing a site. And um, it seems like the builders themselves are not doing the job that you think that they're doing in terms of uh, actually training them on how to build the structure that they're in charge of building. Uh, do you have any thoughts on um, how to close that gap? We're, we're trying to work with builders to get better at that. I agree with you. There has been a definite change in, in builder training. There were a lot of great builder training programs uh, before the crash in, in 2006-07. Uh, when a lot of builders shut down their training programs or a lot of that was that was cut pretty quickly off because of the dollars invested and it's been slow to come back. Um, Ryan Holmes has got a great reputation of their training program being one of the best and the, I don't know if they've really picked it back up but a lot of builders that's really lacking and my my students talk to me about that the lack of mentorship I think it's part of it is the builders and how they trained in the past compared to the, the generation they're hiring now um, have different things they think are important in a job site. Company culture is way more important to them. Uh, yeah. A mentor and training is way more important. And, and builders my age and established companies aren't realizing that and aren't catering as well. I hear it from my students a lot how they're dissatisfied. Uh, it used to be when I got out into the field, man, I, I wanted to know, I wanted, what's my salary and when do I get my construction truck? That's all I cared about. If the job sucked, I don't care. What am I getting paid? Do I have a truck? Now the, the students, this generation that's graduating, they want so much more. Um, so they want different things. More uh, company culture and mentoring would be the top two that we hear all the time. Do you think that they... Um rely too much on the trade partners to know what they're doing? I guess the trade partner knows exactly what they're supposed to do and have read the plans. Have uh, And I guess I, I don't see that necessarily as a problem as I see you shaking your head because everyone can't see you. Um, but 
what I what does seem to be the problem is that the trade partner knows their scope pretty well, but they don't understand how their scope interacts with the next person before or after them. Yep. In the house. Yep. That happens Which a lot. I mean, we talk about this of the, of the uh, construction manager. Yeah. Uh, and the construction management hasn't been trained or hasn't grown up in industry like before. It used to be a lot of CM students came from CM families and CM businesses, and they just needed the four-year degree to move into management. Nowadays, I get a lot of students that want to be construction managers, and the first time they run a chop saw is in my class. And, and we're not a trades class. We're not a trade school, and a lot of the four-year programs aren't. They're management schools. And so we have to look to the two-year schools, the trade schools, and the, the home building academies to pick up that trade part of it. But that is a deficiency and a weakness probably in our program is our students know how to maybe manage people. They know how to get to the bottom line or they know how to do marketing. But if that window is installed wrong, you know, I have to actually work with outside trainers uh, like uh, – um, teachconstruction.com or .org to help me train students and how to implement proper, not, students aren't going to be framers, they're definitely not going to be proficient at installing a window, but to know enough, if they walk on a job site and they go, you know, something's not right. Yeah. You know, that wasn't quite put in wrong. And, you know, they have to rely on the tradespeople. And what you said, to your point, you know, the, but, they're great at what they do, the trades, but they, they only know their scope. And so we see this in industry all the time that, that defects, physical construction defects on a job site happen everywhere where there is a change in contract. That, you know, the foundation guy got it to his point in the transition between foundation to framing. Well, it's not my job to make sure the sill sealer's there or that it's weather tight right at that point or flashing's put in. And so at the intersection of contracts, that's where we see physical construction defects. You see that all the time in your line of work and what you did. So, yeah, that's interesting. The um, so your program it sounds like it doesn't have a, a core curriculum that covers uh, the sequence of the job or the building science of the job or those types of classes. Are they uh, part of the core curriculum? Yeah, I mean, we, we do, we touch on those, like the construction building systems class is a materials and methods class. Now, the both challenge of our program and I think a strength of our program is also weakness. We're in the school of business. So students get marketing and finance and accounting classes along with construction management classes. But I don't see a lot of my construction management students until their sophomore or junior year where they're taking what I would consider an entry-level construction management class, like if you went to Purdue or Texas A&M or even CSU, where you'd get building systems year one. And so the downside of our program is that students don't have such a deeper dive compared to some of our colleague programs um, in like true construction management. We only have 10 weeks of construction building systems where a lot of programs may have two full semesters of that. The upside of our program is because my students understand the big picture of the whole built environment and they understand, so they don't know as much of deeply in the sequence of say like installing a window, 
But they understand that if you don't get that window installed correctly, how that affects the bottom line because of warranty callbacks, because of reputation hit, all the things that affect the whole life cycle of that building, of that project. So, so out of the graduation, you know, my students a lot of times are competing for jobs, even for internships, that other students at sophomore year level were the same knowledge base from other programs. But our students climb up the corporate ladder much faster because they understand the full life cycle and the big picture and everything goes to the bottom line. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're looking for a true estimator, we have a pretty good estimating program, but like you would just want a scheduler. You just want someone to be pigeonholed in a job. There are probably other programs that teach that area deeper than we do, but we have a much broader full life cycle scope that that my students are more entrepreneurial they understand uh, everything that goes into the project and you know you we'll, think your students are ending up at, at more of the larger uh, construction companies we see both um are they ending up more in the office or in the field management again that's up to the student we, we see both i've got students that love the field um they're probably better trained for the office from our program, but that also falls to a personality of the student that would prefer to be out in the field on, on ground boots on the ground. So, um, and we're like all the programs, we, you know, more students go the commercial route than the residential. That's very typical of our program. Um, we have more diversity here at DU because we have the real estate minor. So instead of your typical, Male to female ratio is only maybe 5% or female in a program. Uh, I was University of Nebraska. We had one uh, compared to the rest of them. Here, because of our real estate minor and the fact we're in the College of Business, I'll, I'll have uh, uh, 30 to 50% in my classes at times in diversity. Uh, so that's unique to our program. And, and we're, we're trying to get more women into the construction they think different they're more detailed and the industry is just clamoring for them and so um that's a whole nother definitely noticed more uh women superintendents and construction managers yep. out there and it's it's always good to see um so uh, you mentioned uh teaching at some of these other schools were were they also construction management programs or or any more uh, uh technical uh, CM programs. So um, Purdue University is where I started back in 2007. Um, I got into, I went from industry to teaching because market took a big crash. Uh, jobs were changing. Uh, I was doing some guest lecturing for one of my professors and he submitted my name. He was going to retire and he submitted my name to the department chair as a to teach as an adjunct, and I sat down with Dr. Cox back in 2000, guess spring of 2007, and we talked about what I could teach and my background and experience, and and he made the offer that if I came back and got my master's, he'd pay for it, uh, pay me to teach, and uh, um, he could use me a lot longer. And at that time at Purdue, you could you could become faculty with just a master's. So. Talked to my family. It was very, very appealing. You know, I'd grown up. Dad had been a Purdue professor. We we knew that lifestyle. You know, it's you're not get you don't get rich in the academic world, but it is definitely a different uh, 
life, season of life and the things you get to do and other things that were important to our family. So uh, 2007, we went back to grad school, um, teaching in the, the uh, construction management program at Purdue, but still focused a lot on the residential because, again, that was my background. But uh, partway through, they changed the rules and you had to have a Ph.D. I didn't want a Ph.D. I was barely there for a master's. But Dr. Cox is like, relax, we'll keep we'll pay you as a teaching assistant again. We'll 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 cover the cost of tuition. And so what I thought was going to be a two year journey turned into an eight year journey and ended up with a piled high and deeper degree. But it did open up opportunities that I wouldn't have had if I didn't get it. So I got to go teach a couple years at the University of Nebraska in a construction management program. And then this position opened up at the University of Denver and uh, submitted my packet and went through the interview process and landed here. And uh, we, we love it here in Denver and we love the program. And what's so. your PhD in? Construction yeah. management. Construction. I, I did my dissertation on uh, learning styles of construction management students, how they think, how they learn, and how different they are than, say, engineering or architectural students. Yeah. So, and you're just jumping back quick to your father. Did was he and did he do any material science stuff with the forestry, or was just a straight? No, forestry? he was strictly tree care, railroad wide right away weed control. Uh, Dad and I have a you know he can look at a tree and look at the bark and the the buds and the leaves and and, and he can tell you the latin species and and uh, its life cycle and all this stuff about it and i'm like dad i see a tree and i see a bunk of studs so <laughs> you know Great. we so tell me a little bit about um uh why you're taking your students out into the field and and how that came about we want to get them real world experience from my dissertation research. That was one of the, the big takeaways. Construction management students are very hands on. They learn best typically by doing, acting, active, uh, engaged teaching and learning. So at, at Purdue, we had a really great construction lab. This two story room in the basement, it actually got a tower crane in it, a dirt floor. Uh, we built an eight by 24 building and tore it down every semester we would pour concrete great facility i don't have that here i'm in a college of business it looks like a lawyer's office um you know we got a parking garage that i can do some things in but and what i found through the du alumni network and the builder network we have here we got construction going on in denver all the time yeah and so we we formatted that class first off we're on a quarter system so classes are two hours a piece instead of a typical hour three times a day i've got two hours twice a week and i added a lab so now i've got them uh for the construction lab piece i've got a four hour time block which means in half an hour i can be anywhere mostly around the metro denver and so instead of me trying to show videos or do something with the students i take them to job sites we, we, we give them DU hard hats and safety vests, and we have a huge industry network, both residential and commercial, that loves to host students. Even in COVID, you know, uh, we had to tell industry no before industry told us no. And so by going out in the field, so on Tuesday, we'll talk about concrete. Thursday, we'll go watch concrete being poured. We'll talk to the trades. Uh, we'll talk to the superintendent. We'll traipse around the job site get them dirty 
And and what I learned from doing that, I mean, yeah, it's cool to be on the job site and the students see the equipment and they see the process. But what I didn't realize, students pick up on company culture. They pick up on safety. They realize that there's a good working relationship or as they're listening to the interaction, even if it's in Spanish and I don't know what they're saying, you can recognize certain words and you can tone a voice that that's going well or, ooh, that's a problem. We've come away from field trips where students are like, mm, I couldn't work for that company. The way they treated their employees or the way that they ran their job site, or I've come away from a, a job site visit and the students can't get their resumes fast enough into the HR person to see. And so um, it's been really cool from that aspect. Also, because of the Metro Denver market, we've got all the national home builders building here. And I love taking them out on residential sites because we can literally walk them through a community and you walk by a vacant lot, a hole in the ground, a foundation, rough framing, mechanicals going in, you know, in a four hour time paper, they can see every stage of the home building process and, and where it's going and what's going on. And, and that is, I can't recreate that in a lab. I can't recreate that in a classroom. I can't give them that experience off of YouTube. And so we, we've talked about building a construction lab when I first got here and the fundraising and everything you have to go through. And now I'm like, no, I would never waste that money again. I have this living, ongoing, ever-evolving real world that I can take them out into. It's been a phenomenal learning experience. Uh, it's one of the, the students' favorite classes that we have here at DU. So That's great, yeah. So they they get that hands-on experience. Um, do they are they coming back from that experience and saying I see a deficiency in this area, or they seem to be really good at at X, but need to work on Y and uh, those types of anything like that coming up in in their observations, or what do you think they're really observing out there? They're, they're seeing the process. I know they pick up on culture. That's come up before. I, I don't know if, you know, if something was going really wrong and someone didn't point it out or scream about it. I don't think my students would notice or know. Uh, sometimes these job sites are really, really big. And so it's just a lot for them to take in. They do, you know, they do give them. So we'll walk out, we'll be on a like a land development job site. And there's a lot of, you know, yellow iron going back and forth in front of us moving dirt or we'll be on something that's almost finished and they're walking through the completed project and and seeing more of the office side or what the 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 cleaner side of the faces are going and so students will come out of that at sometimes going wow i really want to be in the field and and be in the mud every day or i would prefer not uh, the other thing is like wow i really love the energy of the uh, commercial construction site and the one single project to focus on for two years. And other students go, man, I love how the home building is everyday changing. And you could see 20 houses in 20 different phases in your daily job every day. And to be involved with the homeowner, involved with the housing. And so they, they also help guide them in their thinking about what they want to do and what part of the segment of the industry they want to go into. So, and then the companies use it as a recruiting tool. Um, the, the, the bar is starting to get raised. It started, hey, we'll just buy you pizza. And now, like Oakwood Homes, will give them a huge swag bag uh, with a T-shirt. And, and so, uh, you know, they're, they're, 
they're trying to buy the students love and, and whatever they can do for recruiting and that aspect of it too. So, um, interesting. Um, so you mentioned that you are doing some competitions. Um, is that a means to, um, delve deeper into the actual, um, construction of the project or what, what define uh, some of the competitions that you've been involved so, in? There are a lot of student competitions out there, both residential and commercial, and we really push them here at DU. From my past at Purdue University, you know, a lot of these were offered back then 30 years ago, and I regret I didn't do them. I just didn't see the need at the time. It was a lot of extra work, and I didn't see the, the return on it. I wasn't involved with it, and I regret that. The competitions are real-world projects, project scenarios. They have different formats. Some of them are just a week long, super intense. Here's a problem. You got 24 hours to solve it and report back. And the students work, you know, almost all night to turn in their problem statement. And, uh, and then they've got to the next day do a presentation. And the companies are testing them that way to say, hey, can you hit a deadline? Can you go through a really super, and then they're always within a team. And it's, a, it's basically an interview for the whole period. You know, because you got to work as a team. They're coming into your project room and they're throwing wrinkles at you like, uh, you just got a delay in subcontractor or you just failed an inspection. How are you going to fix it? And they walk out and, they, you know, the students got to work on it. Real quick, it sounds like uh, the competition that you're talking about now is sponsored by industry. Yeah, they're all industry sponsored. So it, it's, a, it's an interview. It's a weed out. It's an opportunity to do a ton of learning in a very controlled environment. So if you totally screw up and even come in dead last, you didn't cost anybody any money. You didn't kill anybody on the job site. You're not gonna get sued, but you learn a ton. It takes everything we talk about in the classroom and it makes it real world application and drives the learning home. Uh, I, I'm a huge supporter. I think students that participate in a competition actually learn more and drive the learning better than if you just listen to my talking head in a lecture. Yeah. And so competition uh, sponsored by like the Home Builders Association or a specific company depends on the industry segment. So one of the big ones I'm involved with is sponsored by the National Association of Home Builders. They've got a student chapter advisory board that runs this every year. Students are given a problem statement, uh, a community or, or, or a tract of land uh, early fall in the first of September teams work on basically developing a community and a whole pro forma. You have to do a market analysis, um, a, a horizontal development, both lot layout, construction schedule, and cost analysis, a vertical development. What's your product? How much does it cost? What's your construction schedule? And then a whole pro forma on the whole deal. You know, what's the, what are you going to buy the land for? What's the construction cost? What's the carrying cost? What's the return on investment? Uh, what's your peak equity? What's your cash flow? Basically, they're acting like a, a development division of a national company, and you've got to go to your 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 head of your uh, uh, construction company division and sell them on the project. Why would we buy this land, and what would we develop? And so, students work all fall on that, turn that packet in, typically mid December. A lot of times over Christmas break, they work their butts off. Yeah. And then at the International Builders Show, they present uh, to uh, the group of judges 
in fact, that just happened last week. It happened virtually this year. Um, uh, and it's a very competitive, very competitive competition, that one is. How, how so, did things go? Uh, for DU, really well. We took first place this year. Oh, congratulations. So, uh, I'm still riding the euphoric high. The students are pumped. Um, so, uh, but it, it's a great learning opportunity again, and it's a great networking. Yes. Uh, DR Horton right now wants to meet with my team one-on-one. You know, these students are now going to get fought over for these jobs. So the student competitions, whether it's a residential, a commercial, uh, a real estate one, there's, I think there's like five or six that we participate in every year. Those students, it sets them apart from their peers and they learn so much more than just going to class. Yeah. So now, this is a kind of a pointed question that, that I struggle with a bit because it, it seems like maybe these competitions um, are looking at the cost uh, perspective of, of, of this work, I guess, and the return on that cost, uh, yep. the business side of it, really. Yep. Um, and it seems like first cost is a detriment in our industry from a quality perspective of getting it. Do you, do you, does that come up in your discussions with your students at all? It does. Uh, the, the challenge with these competitions is they're typically all knowledge work. It's all, there's no hands-on, there's no long-term, uh, you, you hit it and quit it and, and you solve a little industry problem or you do this, but you know there is no true hands-on or really long-term analysis on that. Now, one competition that does get into that better is the solar decathlon. I was going to you actually have to build about, something. Tell us about the solar decathlon. I, I'm a, a judge this year, and it's that's uh, coming up uh, here shortly. Yep. So I've been involved with the solar decathlon now. This is my third, I guess, cycle. I did it as a grad student at Purdue University. Uh, DU did it in, so that was 2011. University of Denver uh, partnered with the UC Berkeley in 2017. And then this year, we are our own standalone school. It's a international competition put on by the Department of Energy where they challenge collegiate teams to design, build, and operate net zero housing. In the past, it's been you build a house on campus, test and measure everything, disassemble, and ship it to the competition site. So in 2011 at Purdue University, we built a house on campus. We took it apart and shipped uh, five mobile home trailers and a couple other uh, trucks and trailers and materials and pieces and parts and rebuilt it on the National Mall. Uh, you had uh, seven days to put it back together, 10 days to compete where they test and measure everything. You know, uh, there's some some very subjective. They bring architects through, uh, communication people through, engineers through, and they judge the house. And then some very non-subjective uh, measurements. They They measure how much hot water you can pull and the power that creates it. They measure the temperature of your appliances, temperature of your house, the humidity of the house, and then how much power is the house producing off the PV array. And at the end of the day, how much power do you use and how much you get back to the grid. So there's 10 competitions and 100 points each. That's why they call it a decathlon with the 10. And uh, it's a great hands-on learning because you really have to build something that's going to operate correctly. Yeah. So, so this year is different because of the expense of moving a home, I've done that twice now. It's That part of the competition is not sustainable. 
It's very, very costly to build something to take apart and ship it back and forth. So this year they did a build locally, showcase nationally. And so everybody's building something permanently on their campus. And then you as a judge has to, you're, you're doing it virtually because of COVID. You're going to judge everybody's, but no one's moving anything to one campus this year. So DU is in it with a remodel project. We're the only one in that division. Um, it's a 1950s ranch that no insulation in the walls, barely anything in the attic, no PV, um, really air leaky, hasn't been updated in a long time. And so we're going through to make it as close to net zero as possible on a very realistic tight budget, just like any homeowner would have to do in our market. And so we've had to make some decisions about uh, what type of insulation do we use? What type of air sealing do we use? What do we do with our furnace? How do we deal with asbestos that, that's, that's in the ductwork uh, tape or, or in the drywall? Or um, So the students are having to make real-world decisions because they have a very limited and real-world amount of dollars to spend. And so... It sounds like you got a, your lab after all. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it gives me a, a living lab the fact that it's a house that's on campus, owned by the university, was very uh, fortuitous. And uh, so uh, the downside of that project is COVID has just whacked the schedule. We were supposed to be done last May, and here we are still still dealing with it. So, so um, will the house remain a property of the campus, of the school? Yep. Okay. Yep. So the long-term goal is after we're done with it, and the university has been very gracious to let us keep working on it, even though they could potentially rent it out. But they understand the the need for hands-on training right now, especially in this virtual world. So when we're done with it and we've got everything up and running and put back together and tested and measured, um, then they're going to re... It was rental property before. It'll go back into the rental property again. It's going to be a lot nicer. I mean, it We've got the before and the after pictures, and and the before it was barely student housing worthy, and now they're talking about renting it out to incoming faculty or visiting professors, or so uh, they're really pleased. That's the beauty of a remodel project is no matter what you do, it's better hopefully yeah. than before. So where um, where are you in your stage of construction right now? Outside's wrapped up. PV panels are attached to the roof. We had a big, ugly porch we tore off and got that all cleaned up. So we're, we're now focused on the inside. Um, we're resetting the kitchen and bathroom. Uh, we drilled and filled all the exterior walls. We changed out all the electrical fixtures and devices to newer, updated and LED lighting. Uh, kitchen cabinets will be delivered, I think, next week. And I'm Still trying to chase down where our appliances are. Uh, it's, it's getting all new Energy Star appliances. Um, and the students are starting to install the, the measurement to see. They've got, our, they've got our energy model done of before and after. Um, and now we need to go through and make sure it's actually what we've theorized now is getting done to put into real world terms and test and measure. So, What did you use for your energy model? Um, they're working with ResNet. Uh, Remrate or uh, Remrate? Okay. Yeah. So we did a blower door test before. We know it's super leaky. Um, so we're, we're interested to see how the, the drill and fill was with a foam product. So that should tighten things up. 
Um, <clears throat> part of our basement is unfinished, and we've got a big open band board that we're going to spray foam. There's like three. They must have moved the dryer. I don't know how many times because we've got three, four-inch holes in the band board at different locations that just were just left. Okay. So, you know, just it's just a 1950s ranch that's been remodeled along the way, and no one thought about energy efficiency or, you know, making it this a net zero home until the students got to attack it. So, so are the students um, had the, the consistency of the student body that started the project and ended the project, or are they the same students, or does it change every year, every every quarter? This typically it's the same. This year, that's one of the, been the big challenges with COVID. Um, it extended the project a whole nother year. So I lost some of my, I've had three different project managers because of graduation. Um, then, then COVID totally rocked everybody's world. And so I've had students that were consistently out there working on it physically and now are not because of various medical, they're just, they just don't want to come in and get exposed. Um, we just had we had to cancel two work days uh, this last two weeks because my my new project manager, uh, who's been, Joey, has been on the project consistently. I'll give him that. But he started as a freshman. Um, he got exposed, and so we we had to quarantine. Um, so that this project would be done if it wasn't for the pandemic. So that yeah. has been a huge challenge, and not just for our team, but for a lot of teams. So, so are you doing more uh, management yourself than you? probably would normally yeah i would i am uh because you know i'm i'm one of the few now on the project that's got a full project knowledge base yeah and so every time graduation or students drop off we've got to bring someone else up to speed i'm trying to be as hands-off as possible but it's still my name on the credit card on the budget and i've got to get it done uh so yeah. Um, is there a uh, website or anywhere where people could go take a look at it? I know we have one. I, we have a Facebook page, Soda Cathlon, uh, University of Denver. I'd have to check. Again, that's one of the, 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 the marketing students that were working on that yeah. since graduated. Maybe you can get that to me. I'll put it in the show notes. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, great. I we're just about out of time. Um, what? Just a kind of fault, last question here. What is your greatest pleasure uh, working in this industry? I love watching the students learn and grow. The, the the training up the students, knowing I could make a big impact on industry if I still worked in industry. I can make a huger. Huger, terrible. Yes, I have a PhD, but I'm going to talk. A much greater impact by training up the next generation of leaders. You know, uh, I look at buildings I've designed, buildings I've built. That's great, yeah. But I see students, especially after they graduate, they keep in touch, the, the community and the long term. Uh, I still have a relationship with students from 10 years ago. And where they're going in their careers, and that is the best part of my job every day is, you know, connecting with these students, seeing where they're going, how they've grown. The the that's just it's a sweet spot. It's a sweet gig being in academia, and so I get to watch industry change and grow by the influence of the people in it. Yeah, I'm trying. I have one last, another last question. I guess. <laughs> 
I was curious. Um, I do a fair amount of code work. Does how do how do codes um, wrap into uh, the education that you're doing? Depends on the program. I mean, it's something that because of my background, I'm always bringing in and talking about. At the University of Nebraska, we actually had a codes class where we went through the code book and students actually uh, took the ICC certification. Um, Purdue weaves it into their program. So it depends on the program, how it's addressed. It depends on the, 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 the faculty and the champion uh, of it. Um, so I've got all the code books sitting here behind me. Um, we encourage students to get to know the code. The challenge is because they change. So every three years, it's, you know, do you have them memorize something that's going to get changed again? No. Uh, a lot of times I make sure that they at least understand how the code book works. You know, yeah, look at the code book, read through it, understand the formatting, because depending on where you are in industry, you may spend a lot of time in it and you got to know physically how to get through it. So, yeah, it's interesting because the code world is going through this uh, retirement period, uh, just like uh, most industries. So there's lots of opportunities there for students or, or others that are uh, interested in in that world. Okay, so I think we'll end on that note. Thanks again so much, uh, Eric. It was great talking with you. I, I really, uh, it's been really fun to to see how you are using your life experience to help move our industry forward and introduce these students to uh, this great industry that we have. Thanks, Robbie. I'm so so thrilled to be here with you and and what you're doing in your world too. Anytime you need me for anything, you let me know, and I need to get you into my classroom, talk to my students. So. We need to coordinate that for the spring quarter. Sounds great. Thank you for listening to this episode of BuildCast, brought to you by BuildTank, Inc. To see show notes and learn more about our guests and other episodes, visit the BuildCast page of our website at www.btankinc.com. Thank you, Ben Sound, for our music and to Ashley Owen for editing it. And you for your encouragement and guidance in the creation of BuildCast. You can listen to BuildCast on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite platform. If you enjoyed our show and are willing, please take a moment to subscribe and review BuildCast, which will help others find it more easily. Thanks again for listening, and please let us know who you would like to hear next and if you have any suggestions to make BuildCast better. Until next time, be safe and continue to think 0 to 360.